Welcome to Podcasting Smarter, the podcast for podcasters by podcasters. Podcasting Smarter is the official podcast from Podbean, featuring podcasting interviews, best practices, and helpful tips. We're here to give you the tools, resources, product updates, and news to help you get started podcasting and keep your podcast growing. Welcome back, everyone, to Podcasting Smarter and our October live panel event, How to Become a Podcast Editor, using your indie podcast skills for freelance, remote work, or to create a business. In collaboration with Stephanie Fuccio of Podcast Editing Plus and Global Podcast Editors and Geopaths for this truly global conversation with special guests Puneet Chinoy from India, David Romer from Mexico. They will discuss the nuances of podcast editing, freelancing, and going pro. For those of you who may be joining us for the first time, Podcasting Smarter has live stream sessions just like this one with top podcasters and podcasting experts. We also have exclusive recorded episodes on the Podcasting Smarter podcast. And we are brought to you by Podbean. We're a podcast hosting and monetizing platform and home to over 620,000 podcasts. To start your podcast, head over to podbean.com today. And here we go. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Hello. It's so nice to connect with you. So as we jump in, I want to just have a brief intro with each of you. And I'd love to hear about what you currently do within podcast editing. And then I also want to hear kind of how you got into podcasting because everybody's journey in podcasting (laughs) is different, right? So David, let's start with you. Long story short, because I love podcasts. So I think this is a medium where a lot of people arrive because they love it. And I started listening to a lot of narrative podcasts in English when I was in college here in Mexico. And I was always tempted to do the same thing in Spanish. I was like, there needs to be something like This American Life, NPR in Spanish. And like that's where Genuina Media, which is the company I started, we do original podcast in Mexico, everything in Spanish. And we also have this creator network where we connect podcasters or creators with the world of audio. Amazing. Steph, let's go with you next. Okay. So I wear a lot of hats. My biggest hat right now is probably podcast editing. And that's got two sub hats. <laughs> oh God, that's got two sides. I edit podcasts for clients and I also do some consulting work. And then I have the community aspect for global podcast editors where we have twice a month live chat similar to this, but not as themed over on YouTube. We do that twice a month. And there's also a newsletter that comes out a few times, six times a month now. And different aspects and events and different things that we do to try to reduce the isolation of podcast editing. So I've got those. And I also have a passion project podcast. And I write about podcasting. And I think those are the main hats. Those are That's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot of hats. <laughs> and we'll get back to that. We're so excited to collaborate with you for today's event. And then, Puneet, let's hear about your podcast editing and podcasting journey. I am the editor slash engineer for some of the top popular names in the podcasting space like Hala Taha, who hosts the Young and Profiting podcast, Jason Waller, who hosts the True Underdog podcast, Alison Maslin from The Skate Method, and some of the shows for Blinkist like Jordan Harbinger, Tiffany Bova, Extra. I've been in this space for around two years now. And recently in the month of March, I started my own production house, Podcast Pundits. So we have been working on that for almost like about four months now, I guess, four or five months. And the way I got into podcast editing or podcast engineering was 
quite literally a very sudden and a very kind of like a hasty decision but a decision that i liked uh, it was after watching an episode of joe rogan i mean as cliche as that may sound and the episode was uh, where nawal rabikant uh, one of my biggest idols was the host and that was literally the first ever podcast episode that i watched full like from the beginning till the end and when i was watching that towards the end i realized that i am an sa certified audio engineer i seem to like podcasting i have the relevant skills so why not get into it and once i got into it i started loving it more and more and now here i am amazing i love that i want to direct this next question to you staff because you wear so many hats in the podcast editing space. And what's great about podcasting is that we're kind of in this Wild West moment, right? Where everybody yes. can... There's room for everyone. Everyone can find a career or a, a freelance gig or a creative outlet in podcasting, which is pretty exciting. Podcast editing is really a career or a freelance gig or a side hustle that's taking off for a lot of people. Just for everybody out there, I know this is kind of a preliminary question, but can you just break down for us, what is a podcast editor? I think the biggest thing to talk about first is where that podcast editor is going to live in podcast land. Are they going to be like an independent podcast editor that works with like maybe in like small businesses or small content creators and do that kind of thing? Or are they working for like the NPRs and the PRXs, those kinds of things? Because those are two very different spaces for podcast editors to maneuver. That's the first thing. But basically, in its simplest essence, podcast editors are primarily dealing with the audio of the podcast. It does include the speaking parts. It can include sound design, although that seeps over into audio engineering sometimes. And it can include a few other things, but primarily it's the sound of the episodes. Absolutely. And it's editing, you know, or clipping those episodes down or getting, you know, the smoothest sound, whether it's within a flow of an interview or technical audio of it. We talked a little bit about what is a podcast editor and so I think that, you know, that the nuances of being a podcast editor are different for everyone, right? You're, you know, everybody thinks, okay, you cut paste, <laughs> you have an episode, but there is a creative arc and there is kind of an artistic aspect of it that I'd love to hear the three of you speak to as well. The biggest mindset that I go into editing is like, if I'm listening to this episode, like if I'm the audience, if I'm the listener, how would I enjoy it? Would I like the pacing of it? Would I like this particular sentence or this particular topic to be in there? I mean, if let's say the guest, you know, goes on a tangent speaking about something and just that happens quite a lot of times. Would the listener actually get any value from listening to this tangential topic? And I would say the biggest thing that what makes an editor a good editor is that maintaining the human touch. I mean, not just mechanically or robotically, just removing ums, ours, not just, you know, cutting all sorts of gaps into like one second, 0.5 seconds. If a particular sentence requires more pause, like let's say it's a dramatic sentence or if it's a thoughtful sentence and it does require a long pause and it doesn't make to remove that pause and cut it short to like, you know, one second, something like that. So maintaining that human touch, maintaining that narrative mm -hmm. interest that is what makes an audio editor an audio editor. That's my perspective on it. Oh, I love that. David, I kind of also moved you last on this question because you also edit podcasts in Spanish. So I want to hear your take on the nuances of being a podcast editor, but also within utilizing a different language. Does that also change how you edit? I don't think I've ever asked myself that question. 
I mean, I think I agree with you need to have, have said. I think you need to love listening. At the end of the day, you can learn to copy and paste and to cut really fast in the shortcuts of whatever interface you're using. You need to have a lot of patience when you edit. And I think that's amazing because you need to get like the depth of the audio, right? And I think something important in Spanish that I've noticed a lot in Spanish is that people here are afraid of cutting down. Like they leave everything, you know? And I think part of being an audio editor is realizing that whatever the guest or the host is saying is boring. Sometimes it had like everybody <laughs> says boring stuff and you need to cut it down. I think the beauty of being a podcast editor is to make an audio that seems simple. Like, you know, that behind it, there's so much work, you know, that feels simple. And I think it's really hard to achieve. And regarding Spanish, I think it's such a different language from English. We're so limited by so many different things. And I hope I, I can explain this, but we're still getting to a point where listening to podcasting Spanish still feels like way too formal. It's kind of weird to explain, but... You in, haven't in broken English, that fourth wall, maybe, is what it sounds like in terms exactly. of, you know, me and the mic, casual, hey, everybody, how's it going? Yeah, sometimes it feels like <laughs> somebody's still telling you an advertisement or, you know, yeah. and I think it's part of getting used to it. And it's part also to change people's tone. It's interesting because <laughs> English has more vocabulary, it has more concepts, and Spanish is kind of limited in that sense, but it's getting there. though. That's so interesting to hear about. I love that, you know, each of you has all this different experience and nuance in terms of editing because it is so different. It is so personal, right? And there are universal aspects of it as well. It's one of those things I think where also, you know, whether it's the language or the fact that everybody says boring things. That's true, you know? <laughs> so true. <laughs> and, it's, and it's not bad. No, but when I first started podcasting, I felt like if I took that out of my own podcast, that the guest would notice and they'd be offended that I didn't savor every word. And I quickly learned that that's not true. They don't remember a thing <laughs> that happened. As long as you make them sound good, that's what's important. You make them sound good. You make them sound like you bring out the things that they said that are really important and you get rid of the rest because you don't want to waste people's time. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's also about getting that message across succinctly. I mean, I think all of you, that was a real commonality of what you each said, you know, about kind of taking that raw material and loving to listen to it, right? <laughs> loving listening to it and then making something better out of it, which is really fun. Or just using those creative juices to kind of, you know, move things around and create something exciting. I kind of want to ask you all, you know, it seems to be there's this tipping point, right? This critical kind of moment for podcasters where, you know, maybe you edit your own podcast. A lot of podcasters are self-taught. A lot of them do have more traditional backgrounds, but that are adjacent. They're not directly, you know, podcasting related because it's such a new medium. And so I think a lot of people question themselves right? About when does my skill, you know, as an editor or to piece things together beautifully or to pull out extraneous things or to add dramatic pauses, you know, when does that start to be a marketable skill? When do other people want to pay for it? Right? <laughs> so, and that's, you know, really why we're here today to kind of talk about this. So I want to pose this stuff to you first, you know, really speaking about this because there is that tipping point, I think, for a lot of podcasters mm -hmm. and, and everybody does have their own unique journey. But also, I think there is maybe a benchmark or a threshold. So I'd love to hear your journey and then you can kind of go around and, and hear where everybody thinks that line is, maybe for them. And then also maybe, you know, as the industry evolves. Sure, sure. I guess a disclaimer is due. I'm very much so a content first and sound 
clean up second kind of person, <laughs> meaning that even with my own podcast at first, I was like, I wanted to get content out and out and out. And I wanted to get that. Not so much just for consistency because you're supposed to, but I had a lot I needed to say. So I just pushing content first. And then I learned the other things later as I went. And actually it was... For me, it was three years into my podcasting that people started to approach me because I had left my full-time job and I was searching for something else. And they knew I was available and they knew that, that I edited my own podcast. Although I didn't say, oh, I'm looking for editing clients, people started to approach me at the beginning of the pandemic when everybody wanted to start a podcast. And they're like, hey, do you know someone? And I'm like, me, pick me. <laughs> and so that's when I started to. And so it was three years in, but I was doing like this much compared to now in my own podcast. Like I've learned a ton since then because I'm more careful with my client stuff than I am with my own. So I don't know if I have an answer, but I think that I think a few months in at least, I'd say 20, 30, maybe 40 episodes, depending on how long they are. I think you need to get into a rhythm and be comfortable with it and start to notice those nuances. And then as long as you're clear with your clients, what you can offer, what your skill level is, and that you're going to be growing and learning with them as their podcast is getting better. As long as you're transparent with them on what you can do, I think you can start pretty early as an editor for clients. Absolutely. And I love what you said about being content focused more because, you know, there's lots of different styles of editing, right? As you know, we're talking, there's so many different, it's like, you know, how many different kinds of podcasts are there? <laughs> well, 3 million, literally. But, you know, it's one of those things where there's everything from interview shows to it's me and the mic shows to narrative, you know, audio documentaries, right? So David, let's hear from you next about this. I studied law in Mexico. I have basically no background in audio. I learned by myself and I can't say at all I'm an expert, especially like in the audio engineer part, like learning all the time. And in general, I think an audio editor should always charge, you know, I think it's a super marketable job and Right now that there's this podcasting boom in Latin America, it's we're like five years behind the US, let's say. So the marketing boom is like really live right now. And everybody's looking for someone to edit their podcast. Mm -hmm. And I think prices are just being set and people need to value what they're doing, right? Because there's this situation where a lot of the podcast editors in Latin America are people that started in music. You know, and mm -hmm. right now there's not a lot of good paying jobs in music and they're turning to podcasting and there are no clear prices there. There's people that are starting to really commit to podcasting. And that's mm -hmm. amazing because first we had like really amateur guys that moved from music to podcasting. And now we're looking at people that are becoming artists, you know, that are working at narrative podcasts. They are like super focused on making the right sounds and the right music and creating original music. And it's super exciting. So I think there's a lot of levels, podcast editors, everyone should charge. And I think there's a point where you're basically doing a lot of creative sound design and editing, and that should cost much more, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's something where, you know, as the industry is evolving, everybody's going to come into it differently. So you were saying about getting your first clients and then, you know, it's the first person that's trusting you with their audio. And then it's like, okay, uh, what? What do I charge? <laughs> right? exactly. so, and there is that kind of, you know, I'm not the five or five dollar editing thing. My time is worth more than five dollars an hour to sit there and even just to pay for your equipment and the programs. It's interesting to see how everybody kind of comes across their rate and gets to that first number and then how that number changes, you know, with your yes. clients as you purchase maybe even more editing software as you incorporate like, oh, hey, maybe I should also include the cost of my electricity. 
that kind of thing um, because you are operating a business. Yeah, Steph. Yeah. And we had a really big discussion on this in the Global Podcast Editors Google group last week where somebody was asking not just like a number for how much should I charge, but what are the factors? Yeah. What goes into the number? Yeah. Yeah. It's not just your time. It's the time it took you to learn it. It's your equipment. It's all of, if you're like freelancing or a small business, you've got business expenses that go beyond that. You could have like your vacation, your healthcare, like there's all of those entrepreneurial expenses that come in too. And then there's how many people are involved. If it's with a client that requires multiple meetings with multiple people, you have to charge more because that's more time and effort and organization and planning. And that's another factor. And there's just this long list of these factors that you don't know when you first start. Like for me, I was like, I want 25 an hour because I'm just doing this until I find a full-time job. And that was how I started. And I quickly realized that that was not even remotely enough, even for a half hour interview. I was like, that's not even okay. (laughs) So yeah, there's a million factors. Yeah, there's so many factors. So Beneath last but not least, tell us a little bit about your journey in terms of, you know, you talked about getting into podcasting, but to make it more of a career and then learning what to charge. Over the time, like initially, even I had no idea what to charge. <laughs> it's a vacuum like, out there. <laughs> yeah. Literally no idea what to charge. But initially, I did a couple of episodes for free just to, you know, kind of build my portfolio and stuff like that. Just to show when, like, if I approach a bigger podcast, just to show, yeah, this is my work. So I had to have something. Over the time, I've kind of developed this kind of system that I follow when I'm approaching a new client and the new client asks me my rates. So what I basically do is I look at the type of show that the client has and I look at the kind of similar shows in that particular category. Now, let's say it's like a business interview style podcast. Mm -hmm. So I'll just Google or I just go on Spotify and I just search for business podcasts. I see some of the top podcasts there. I see if the quality of editing, the quality of production of those podcasts match to what I'm doing. If they do match, I go to the podcast website. I go to the team sections where I can find some of the websites do have teams. Some of them don't. But if they have a team, I can, you know, just go to find the person who is responsible for the production or it can be a company or a single person. Right. And if that company has a website, I go to their website. I check their prices. And then let's say on a rough scale, it is 100. If it is 100, I go to my original client and I would undercut the 100 by let's let's say I'll charge 90. That's that's what I do. I hope I was not very confusing. No, that makes a lot of very methodical, (laughs) very methodical. And I think also market research plays into this a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you're looking at, you know, some of the larger production companies, if you can produce on that scale, right, whether it's quality or volume, you know, and you're talking to clients who have similar podcasts or who want to be in those categories Mm -hmm. or of that kind of caliber of content, right? It's important to know what the going rate is. So I think doing that market Mm -hmm. research is really important. And it's very specific, right? I would say it's also based on the niche of podcasts, right? Is it an interview show? Is it, you know, Mm -hmm. is there a composer for that show? And it's, you know, like tens of thousands of dollars per episode because some podcasts are like that, you know, when you're dealing with some of the bigger Mm -hmm. players. It's definitely something that it's important to factor out. And then trying to find those production houses, independent editors, and seeing, you know, if they post their rates, I think that's really important because it gives you an idea of, you know, what the work is worth in the market mm-hmm. right now. And it gives you a bit of a benchmark. So it's so interesting to hear each of your takes on this, right? You know, starting out thinking, you know, Steph, you know, just starting out thinking like, hey, I'll, you know, I'll take this client and, you know, maybe it's 20 an episode or 25. <laughs> and then later on, you know, hey, what is my time worth? What did it cost mm-hmm. to get this program? What mm-hmm. is the current rate in the market? You know, David, also on your aspect, audio 
editors from music coming in. You know, maybe they went to school for music and that cost a lot of money. <laughs> so the value of that education and learning, you know, specific programs is also a factor as well. And Steph, I really love what you said about that list, you know, of what goes into my pricing, right? Electricity, programs used, my actual time, how many meetings I have to have with the client. I think these are all really important aspects that podcasters need to ask themselves when they're thinking about, mm-hmm. hey, do I want to offer editing as a service professionally? And I think that that's a really important point. I want to pivot a little bit next and talk about what are some good benchmarks of a great editor. David, let's start with you on this one. What do you feel are some good benchmarks of being a great podcast editor? That's a good question. I think good podcast editor has to be someone that's really open to listen, not to your podcast, but like to your vision, to what you want. Because I think there's a really big barrier between what a client wants and what they transmit to the editor. Mm. It's one of the hardest things to transmit. It's like you can assume what you want exactly. It's not what you're going to get, right? So there's a really big part of trust in there. Like, even though you don't get 100% what I mean, I trust you. I trust that what you do is going to be great, right? So I think that someone that really transmits that trust and that has that confidence in saying like, I took this decision because of this and they can justify it. I think that makes a great podcast editor because to be honest, I'm more right now in like my life, I'm more in the other side. I'm more in the client side. And that's something I appreciate a lot. I guess in Latin America, someone that combines this part of audio plus content, which Tef I think said it greatly, is really scarce. So we're looking for people like that in Latin America because they're only audio or they're only content, you know? And Mm -hmm. if you can do both, you really stand out. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. And I think also, you know, the underlying theme there is client expectations, right? Just Mm -hmm. setting clear expectations with your client about like what they're communicating, what you're hearing, what the work you're doing is going to (laughs) be, whether it's specific work or it's the tone, the tone of your show or the feeling of it. Steph, can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah. And also... Oh my gosh. What they think they need and what they actually need are often very different too. Like I used Mm. to give people what they specifically said and they'd be like, not unhappy, but not happy. And I shifted and was like, I'm going to experiment a little bit here and I'm going to do this because I feel like that might be better or they might need this. So I'll send an extra email with some information that I think is something they might want. And then there was this, oh, moment where my clients started to get like excited about what was happening when I send them stuff. And I was like, there we go. It's a little bit of mind reading or ear reading. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like yeah, and word, but there's can you just when you do that, I just want to mm-hmm. ask a follow-up question there. Are you communicating with them like, hey, this is what you asked for, but it sounded like maybe you wanted this? And then what are some of those gaps? Mm. Yes, I am communicating with them, but not necessarily in a super technical way because most of my clients are business folks that are very pressed for time and they want the end result more so than the process. So I'll tell them maybe like a tone thing that I went with or like a tiny thing that like the emotion or the energy of the episode, but I won't necessarily tell them the the technical specifics that got it there. In your experience, what seems to be the gap in between what people ask for and what they want? I'm not sure that they're familiar with the nuances that could make their podcast better. And I think the editors are. And so I don't think they know to ask for these things. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, what are the things? What are the things? Yeah. Oh, gentlemen, <laughs> help. Puneet, <laughs> you want to jump in here? Help. <laughs> yeah. In my experience, it's just the language. I mean, the editors would be speaking in a very technical language. Like, let's say, mm-hmm. client is finding a particular audio recording too harsh. Client will tell that, okay, make this sound go. That's their language. That's their way of explaining. But to an editor, it's like, okay, cut down 6, 7K in your EQ. It's that barrier of language is what I feel the gap. Like some of my clients used to say things like, well, there's not a lot to do. There's not a lot to take out. There's not, they think of what needs to go away. And it's not just what you're pulling out. It's what you're leaving in and what you might rearrange or what you might emphasize. And that's not something that I think they're used to thinking about. Mm, That makes a lot of sense. I don't want to keep drilling the same question, but what are some of those specifics? David, maybe an example from a podcast that you might have encountered in, you know, what the client asked for versus what they actually wanted. I I wanted to Um, say that like at the end of the day, I think the meal, based on your analogy, like the meal you order as the client, you're not really sure what you want. And at the end, you're not going to get what you thought you wanted. Only after you taste it, you can really like start to know, right? I think. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's also something where, you know, editing is a very specialized skill. And in podcasting, you know, everybody starts somewhere and there's so many beginners out there that start, you know, doing everything for their podcast, right? Let's say you're a a single independent podcaster, you're Mm -hmm. creating your social graphics, you're writing your show notes, you're publishing your podcast, you're scheduling your interviews, you're editing your audio, you know, you're doing all of that yourself. Mm -hmm. And then when you speak to somebody that has a specialized skill, you may not know what you don't know. So I think that that's a really, really important aspect of it. And each of you kind of started out, you know, creating a business and learning what rates to charge. And there seems to be also, you know, we kind of spoke about this tipping point of like when to charge people. But when did you each feel like, you know, your indie podcasting skills really started to hone in or you were able to turn it into a professional business? Because it seems like all four of you have really been able to do that. Mm -hmm. Vanice, let's start with you on this one. I want to hear, you know, kind of your take on that. I really don't have a solid answer for this. (laughs) I mean, I, I recently started my own production house, but mm-hmm. that had literally nothing to do with, you know, what level of skills I was in. No, no, I don't mean I, skills. I mean, in terms of having the business, of getting your editing clients and your business to that level. I'm sorry, I don't understand the question. Like to the level where we felt confident that this is what we do. Right, is exactly. There, is this um, an imposter syndrome question? <laughs> Not necessarily, but it could okay, be. Okay, okay. <laughs> Oh, uh, that's it. I mean, after editing quite a lot, I mean, in hundreds of episodes Mm -hmm. and doing it much quicker than you used to when you started, you kind of get a confidence by talking to more people, by understanding the work more and more. You kind of get a confidence that, yes, this industry is is a place where I can grow. This industry is Mm -hmm. where I can start a business in. And that confidence mixed with a bit of, you know, the will to work more, to mm. get more clients. I mean, it's it's all a mixture of that, which I think, you know, can get us to start a business. Absolutely. Steph? Yeah. Gosh. For me, it was like layers and it's still growing because with each time I talk to and take on a new client and they want something a little bit different after doing that new thing for a while, and then I talk to a new client, I realize how good I got at the last thing. And I'm like, oh, but it doesn't, it doesn't, 
kick in until I'm talking to a new, new client. Like as I'm doing it and learning, I never feel like I'm really there until I'm describing it to somebody else. And then I go, oh, wow, I didn't realize that I learned how to do that in this like very efficient, very emotional, like good audio way. Mm. And so it's like every time I level up or take on a new client, I feel like I get more and more confident in what I'm doing and that it's appreciated. And that feels really good because this is a very isolating task to be doing. (laughs) You're in a vacuum. You know, we always talk about how podcasting is really a community-based medium. But a lot of the time, you know, people have that perception that it's you and the mic. And with editing, sometimes it is you and the audio. Mm -hmm. I think that's an important aspect. David, any insight from your side about, you know, when you felt like you kind of had the skills, but then you moved into more of a professional business? I mean, I hope this doesn't sound like abusive, but (laughs) since the moment I saw there was a business there, I was like, okay, like there's an opportunity here. Because even when I didn't have the skills, There were so many people that wanted to do a podcast and they had Mm. no interest in knowing how the sausage is made. Like, (laughs) they were like, can you help me with this? Like, distributing my podcast. And I was like, you just need to go to a hosting site. I don't care. That's us. Yeah, come to Podbean. We're here. Yeah, yeah, I was like, go to Podbean. They're like, I don't care. Do it for me. I'm like, okay. If you don't want to know, not even the basics and Mm. just get like the end result, Mm -hmm. I'll send you the Spotify link, you know? And... For me, it was great because I got paid a little to learn, you know, and they were paying me to learn and they had no idea I was learning through that. Yes. (laughs) And I think, I mean, you should always charge because even simple tasks take a lot of time. And and Mm -hmm. I think it's a good method to charge first and then learn and practice and experiment and do a good job, of course, but like use it as a process. Oh, I love that. No, and I think each of your answers is so different. You know, it really kind of offers a little bit of perspective because there's no, you know, there's no cookie cutter road to podcasting <laughs> as a business. There isn't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in terms of learning the skills, Fefe, I love what you said about just like I had the clients, they were there. David, you're mm-hmm. like, people didn't want to do the work. You know, they didn't even, I, I mean, you can start a podcast in five minutes from your phone. And mm-hmm. if people wanted to hire you to do that, great. You know, <laughs> I, I love, I love what each of you said about that. You know, I think it's really interesting. And I kind of want to, I have a couple more questions. We have a little bit more time. But, you know, I think in terms of attracting clients, Feifei, you kind of really led directly into the next question here because people always want to know like, oh, you have these skills or, you know, for some people, maybe you just, the word got out. You know? <laughs> and now everybody knows you're a podcast editor. But I think a lot of people do ask, how do you attract clients, right? Because like you were saying, there's, you know, budget websites that have, you know, the minimum available that aren't maybe going to have the quality like like an Upwork or, you know, something where you just fiber or, you know, you pay $5 and who knows what you're going to get. So what do each of you do to attract clients? Mm-hmm. Steph, let's hear from you because I feel like you might have a different answer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm ridiculous. I spend way too much time online. And I, I you know, honestly, I was a teacher for a long, language instructor for a long time. Yeah. So I'm used to being around people and I love audio and I can be alone in my room and listen to audio and feel like I'm around people, but I still like humans and faces and, and all that kind of stuff. So I tend to be online in a ridiculous amount of places. I'm in a ton of groups. I'm answering questions on different Facebook groups over on Twitter, Instagram, wherever people are. And I built, grew, started TPE and people started to, you know, come on and talk to each other. And so 
I just, I'm visible in places. I'm loud and I'm visible and I, I answer questions and I yell at people when they get too techy and alienate others. And I'm just very in people's faces, I think, but not in a, hopefully not in a rude way. And so I think that attracts some attention, but also word of mouth for clients. I tend to get clients from word of mouth or from them finding something I've written on a Facebook group and then following my profile over to my website. But yeah, everywhere is my answer. I put my stuff everywhere. And I think that also kind of speaks to marketing your business as well. You know, I think in terms of podcasting, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways that independent podcasting businesses are marketing, you know, whether it's community or whether it's paid ads or whether it's relationships or whether it's, you know, maybe you're approaching individual podcasters or you're responding to bids, that kind of thing as well. But I think there are some important aspects that you spoke to. And the word of mouth really, I think both of you mentioned this, Fei and Steph. And I'm sure, Panith and David, I'm sure you have a similar answer in terms of letting your work speak for itself. But I think that is so important because, you know, as podcasting grows, and a lot of that content is evergreen, right? It's going to stay on those channels. You know, you can re-monetize it, which, you know, at Podbean we do. But the content of the episodes is invaluable because you can just keep selling it and it keeps staying on your channel. And it's, it's amazing. So I think as that work grows and more and more people listen, even if it's just one specific episode or, or a small number, people will find you in that way. So I think that that's really important. And making sure you're in the right spaces, right? Stuff like you were saying with Facebook groups, community plays a big aspect in podcasting mm-hmm. because you know we're all growing as an industry. So it's definitely important. Yeah. And also, I kept hearing people say, you know, you're going to reach this point, like you're waiting for your clients, you're waiting to get clients, you're waiting to get clients, and then you have too many. And I was like, well, I don't want to have too many because I'm not here to work too much. I'm not going to outsource. I'm going to be boutique. I've got five, maximum of five clients, and I'm not going beyond that. I'm not working any more than that. So I figured, well, I need to know other editors also. In addition to wanting to talk to them, I also wanted to be able to refer people out because I don't do certain, I don't do true crime. And when people come to me and say, can you edit my true crime podcast? I need to be able to refer them out to somebody. So yeah. community was a huge part of that for me. Absolutely. Panith, let's hear from you about this one as well in terms of finding the right clients. Mm. For me, LinkedIn has been the biggest help. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think 95 plus percent of my clients are I found on LinkedIn. And uh, ever since I've started my production house, I mean, I'm learning how to market myself, which I didn't need to before. I mean, I used to just message potential clients and hope that they answered. But ever since I've started my uh, production house, I'm learning different techniques of how to market without spending any money. And the best way I've found and learned is that, you know, establish yourself as an expert in the field. And I'm trying to do that by posting consistently and Right now, I'm just sticking to text post. I mean, like micro blogs, like what LinkedIn is. And I would say 50-50. 50% I'm trying to establish myself and my company as an expert in the podcasting space. And 50% I'm still continuing messaging potential clients. I mean, if if I already have a client, like let's say Hala, I just go to her followers list. And, you know, on LinkedIn, you have first, second, third connections. Yeah. So just go to Second Connections and if they are podcasters and if they have a podcast which is very similar to the type of podcast that I edit, message them. Say that you edit Hala show. I mean, I edit Hala show and I think I can edit your show in a better way too. I mean, that's how I go about it. 
That's fantastic. I think that's really helpful input for anybody out there. There's a lot going on on LinkedIn. And I think also, you know, not being afraid to just say, hey, you know, I'm here. You like this podcast. I edit this podcast. Here it is. I think also, you know, that entrepreneurial aspect of it is really important. And it doesn't have to be, you know, a hard sell. It can just say, hey, you know, here's what I do if you're interested. And I think that's a really important aspect as well. Um, And sorry sorry to cut you out, but I just wanted to uh, add one more point to what I just said. Even I myself get a lot of just stupid messages on LinkedIn where, you know, it's a template. It's literally, I mean, sometimes right, right. I... Dear business get, owner, right. <laughs> uh, no, even worse. I sometimes get, hello, ma'am. That's what I get. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's just a copy-paste message. <laughs> yeah. Right. So when you're approaching someone, when you're approaching a potential client, try to provide some value first. I mean, listen to that episode. Figure out some things or note down some things that you think you can improve in that episode and just tell them that these aspect of your show can be improved and I can help you do that. I mean, make it a bit personal rather than too businessy. Yeah. Oh, can I bounce yeah. off of that? Also on LinkedIn, which is a really great resource, I found that actually sharing something that I've learned that day or that I realize I know that maybe not everybody does, like sharing that is way more impactful and helpful than just saying, I have these services, hire me, you know, because it's yep. like you're giving that value that Puneet is talking about and not just saying me, 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 like you're adding to the space and you're letting people know that you can do stuff at the same time. And that's really impactful. Yeah, no, I love that aspect as well. Adding value is really important. Mm-hmm. You know, I think for everybody out there, clients want to know that you have value and can add value to their, you know, whether it's to their podcast or whatever it is that start whatever service that you're providing. But I think it's also something where, you know, in that spirit of generosity, people are going to be attracted to your skill set as well. So I think that that's a really important aspect. David, let's hear your take on this in terms of attracting clients, because it sounds like (laughs) in Latin America, there's just, it's a bit of a boom and, and there's a lot going on there. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I can rescue a lot of the things Stefan Puneth have said. I guess my main point has been to change my brand persona, I would say, to become the podcast guy. And that means like on Twitter, on Facebook, in real life. And it's not fake because I really am passionate about podcasting. But like when people are like, hey, recommend a podcast for me or hey, I want to start a podcast. A lot of people come to me organically now, you know, and, and I'm super happy to have those conversations. And they're usually not possible clients. Because for example, right now for Genuina Media, our company, we only take on corporate clients, right? Because also we don't want to outsource and we can only take certain amount of clients. But still like the part of connecting with people that are interested in podcasting and when like somebody is thinking like in our close circle about podcast, they look at us. It's super interesting and super fun. And we started a blog too that has been really helpful. And like when people approach us, because anyone in, in Genuina, a lot of people approach us and they're like, hey, I want to start a podcast. What microphone should I buy? And we're like, no, wait, you don't need a microphone. What's your idea? You know, like, who do you want to reach? And we have mm-hmm. articles for all the funnel of like, start your podcast. And yeah. that has also helped us, you know, and people have us in mind. So when they have their company ready to start a podcast, they come to us. So that has been great. Absolutely. I think that that's a fantastic aspect of it as well. I mean, we kind of touched on community stuff, I think, in terms of the role that community plays. But Feifei and David and Puneet, I'd love to hear from each of you if you have a take on 
you know, because it sounds like each of you, first of all, is building your community of clients. That really is prevalent. Mm -hmm. But I think in terms of overall community and podcasting, Puneet, you kind of touched on this in terms of LinkedIn, positioning yourself as an expert. How have you found that the role that community plays within podcasting positively impacts your business? Puneet, let's start with you because you had that great LinkedIn example as well. Again, like continuing from what I said, because of my connections on LinkedIn is how I found more and more clients. I mean, even if I haven't found more clients, some of my connections who are also podcast editors, they sometimes just message me like, hey, Puneet, I'm a bit overloaded at this moment. Can you help me edit this episode and I'll pay you blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Right. So even if it is not exactly a client client, you're still getting different kinds of work from your different kinds of connections. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think, and Steph, you also touched on that as well. You know, as a podcasting business that is, you know, minute for minute, you're not outsourcing. It's your one man show, (laughs) one man band, one woman band, woman (laughs) band. Um, It's something where you know having that network because you know that when Mm -hmm. you maybe have a spot open, somebody will funnel work to you. That when you have maybe somebody coming to you that you can't fit in or isn't the best fit even. Like you said, you know, with true crime as a genre, you're able to farm them out. You're able to, you know, help other podcasters with their slate of shows that they're working on. Absolutely. David, do you have a take on community as well? I think it's the most, like, since I've been in this business, I think it's the most amazing part of podcasts. I think people are super nice and super helpful. And in Latin America specifically, I think most of the people that are trying to make money out of their podcast are struggling. It's just a reality. It doesn't matter how many followers you have, how many listens you have. The market is so, so uh, premature, I would say, that you're struggling. It's a real hustle. So I think community and helping each other and everybody having the focus of let's grow podcasting in Spanish, in Latin America, and let's just bring Mm -hmm. people in the medium has being such a cool incentive to connect with people. Mm, absolutely. Well, it has been such a pleasure to chat with you all today. Steph and our collaboration for Global Podcast Editors. I'm going to read our brief outro. Thank you all so much for joining us today. I think, you know, it's been really insightful for everybody out there who edits their own podcast or is maybe starting to edit podcasts for clients or just, you know, taking on some freelance work about knowing when it, when it is to make that shift in your business, the role community plays, what to charge, how to attract clients, the benchmarks of a great editor, right? And getting that meal right in terms of the recipe. <laughs> um, and how you each got into podcasting because it is such a unique journey for everybody. You know, as podcasting as an industry evolves, we're all evolving with it. So it's really great to connect with you all here and hear about your different journeys and businesses and how, you know, podcast editing even just that niche within podcasting is expanding at such an exponential rate. Thank you everyone for joining us at Podbean and Podcasting Smarter for our October live panel event, How to Become a Podcast Editor, Using Your Indie Podcast Skills for Freelance, Remote Work, or to Create a Business. In collaboration with Stephanie Fuccio of Podcast Editing Plus, Global Podcast Editors, and Geopaths for this truly global conversation with special guests Punish Janoy from India David Romer from Mexico as they discuss the nuances of podcast editing, freelancing, and how they each went pro. So thank you all so much for joining us today. For those of you who may be joining us for the first time, Podcasting Smarter is brought to you by Podbean, and we have live stream sessions just like this one with top podcasters and experts. We also have exclusive recorded episodes on the Podcasting Smarter podcast. 
If you joined late or want to have another listen to this conversation, you can replay this live stream on Podbean's YouTube channel and on our podcast. Podcasting Smarter is brought to you by Podbean. We're a podcast hosting and monetizing platform and home to over 600,000 podcasts. To start your podcast, head over to podbean.com today. Thank you so much for joining us and stay tuned for next month's live panel in November. Happy podcasting, everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Podcasting Smarter. If you have any podcasting questions or want to get in touch, send us an email at podcastingsmarter at podbean.com. Thanks so much and happy podcasting.